I'm loving the series that we started uh, three weeks ago called God's Got This, with the concept that if God's got this in your life, He's actually got you. And He's working something incredible in and through you, no matter what circumstance you're facing. Because in life, we deal with stuff. Even if it wasn't in the middle of this global pandemic, there are things that happen in our lives. And sometimes they seem like giants. They seem overwhelming. They're loud. They make a lot of noise. They try to intimidate. And it's the voice of the enemy trying to knock you down and keep you down. And whether you're dealing with doubt or fear or a sense of inadequacy, or you've dealt with some failure and it just seems to keep being revisited in your life and your thinking, or the one that we're going to talk about today specifically, you're dealing with shame. There's stuff out of your past, or maybe even it's in your present right now, where shame is kind of trying to envelop you and drag you down and distance you from God and from others. And if you invite Jesus into that, He's the one that deals with our failures. He helps us put our past shame behind us and washes us clean. He restores faith as he encounters us. He renews us in our confidence and in our strength so we can walk confidently and boldly through this life in Jesus' name. So let's jump into this topic, dealing with shame. And Isaiah is speaking on behalf of God to a woman who's dealing with something that was extremely shameful out of her past. And prophetically, he's speaking over the whole nation. But I love this phrase, Isaiah 54 and verse 4. Fear not, you will no longer live in shame. Fear not, you will no longer live in shame. And I believe that as I speak that, that's a prophetic word over people's lives right now. Your shame might be public or it might be private, only a few know, or maybe it's secret shame. And God wants you to hear today, fear not, you will no longer live in shame. I want to talk a little bit about the genesis of shame. And I'm actually playing on the words because we're going to go right back to the book of Genesis It says, now the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. As they were created, clothed in God's glory, they did not know what shame felt like. They had no shame. They had no sense of embarrassment. And in a sense, this verse is a eulogy to the glory of what Adam and Eve, mankind, humankind experienced in paradise. It's a declaration of before sin entered, before the fall took place, before guilt and shame started to clothe human beings instead of God's glory. And it was before innocence died. But that memory of innocence, of being clean, of living without shame, lingers as an imprint in our soul. And there's something within us that knows it's there, even if we're not experiencing it, because we feel clothed in shame. We know it's there. We long for it. 
And the sad thing is if we can't find it in this life, that sense of innocence before God and others, we try to dull the guilt, dull the shame by doing things that actually bring more shame back into our lives. And there's this terrible moment when Adam and Eve had disobeyed. They disobeyed God and they plunged humanity into the darkness of sin. And it says at that moment, their eyes were opened and suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves and they hid from the Lord. There's so many insights into that passage but suddenly they felt shame. They'd never experienced that emotion, that thought process, and now they plunged into it. And the instinct is to cover up, to hide, to hide from God, to hide from others. And you and I know that voice, that shame actually has a voice. We've all heard it in our heads, spoken over us perhaps, Shame on you. Shame on you. But we want to talk about shame being off you today. And whether those words shame on you have been spoken by someone else over you, perhaps there were words that you spoke to yourself about what you had just done, or whether it's the whispered hiss of the serpent who's dragging something out of the past and saying, shame on you. The instinct of shame causes us to hide, to withdraw, to be less and to live less than what God called us to do. Shame is annoying anxiety that eats away at our soul. It creates havoc in our soul. It's a a deeply shameful and painful emotion. It's soul-crushing and eventually warp something in our identity. So we know there's a voice, but there's also a thinking process that goes with shame. And the devil using shame seeks to make you a prisoner to your own thoughts. And every one of us has experienced shame to some extent or another, over something or another. But for many, it gets entrenched in your life. Maybe not in every area of your life, but there's that thing, that thing that happened. And sometimes it's not even what you did, it's what somebody did to you. And they ought to be shameful about what they did, but the shame gets transferred. And the enemy loves to take that and begin to warp our thinking. You look at Peter in the moment that he denied Jesus after being so confident that he wouldn't. Matthew 26 and verse 75, suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And he went away weeping bitterly. Even after the resurrection, the shame clung to him and he went fishing And Jesus encountered him. And we talked about that in the first message in the series, dealing with failure. But Judas was another one who had betrayed him. And when he saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse. Tried to undo what he had done and was rejected by the 
priests at the time and said, we don't want your money. And he flung it at their feet. And then he left. And here's a tragedy. He went away and hanged himself. Peter went fishing to hide from God. Judas took a far more extreme action. And it's tragic because there was redemption for Peter. And I believe with all my heart, there was redemption for Judas. And when we're caught in this shame thinking, we're vulnerable to perfectionism. And we try to make things perfect and control things because we've got to prove that we can do it right. That we can, with our perfect life, hide the shame that sits behind us. We become critical of others because we're so judgmental of ourselves and we begin to see our flaws in others, so we begin to judge them. And we get locked into the self-defeating thought process with excuses and justification and blame and allegation and judgmental attitudes. But I love what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, Verse three to four, we do not wage war as the world does. And shame is a weapon that the enemy uses to wage war against you. He says, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And shame is a stronghold that the enemy seeks to establish in your mind. The word literally is translated fortress. But in these ancient times, fortresses were also places where they imprisoned people. And so the concept of fortress and prison becomes interchangeable. And Paul's playing on this. The stronghold becomes a prison in your thinking that the enemy establishes. But in verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 10, he gives us an incredible way to get the key out and get out of that prison and be set free in the name of Jesus. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Instead of the enemy using shame to rule you, you bring your shame, lock, stock and barrel with openness, with honesty to Jesus and he sets you free. So let's talk about this whole thing of breaking free from shame. And the first thing we really need to get, we really need to understand, God does not use shame or fear to motivate us. God does not use shame or fear to motivate us. You may feel conviction. You may feel guilty. But conviction that is Holy Spirit inspired and led in your life will always lead you to hope, will always lead you to Jesus. Shame, as we saw with Adam and Eve, causes you to hide. Fear not, God says. Fear not, God speaks over you today. You will no longer live in shame. Do not be afraid. There is no more disgrace for you. You will no longer remember the shame of. And I deliberately left the rest of that verse off because he was speaking to a woman. He was speaking over the nation. But what is it that you are ashamed of? 
You will no longer remember the shame of. Jesus will set you free today. So let's talk about this. Number one, you can't change your past. Nobody's invented a time machine to go back and undo what you did, the choices that you made, or as we've talked about earlier, the things that were done to you. And it doesn't matter what your past is. Jesus paid a sufficient price on the cross of Calvary to forgive all sin. There is nothing that has happened in your life or in anybody else's life that cannot be forgiven by the power of Jesus' sacrifice. The apostle Paul had persecuted the church had hunted down Christians, had vehemently denied that Jesus was Lord until Jesus encountered him. And I love the way in 1 Timothy, Paul tells us a little bit of that experience. He says, mercy kissed me. Even though I was a blasphemer, a persecutor of believers and a scorner of what turned out to be true. And he goes on to talk about the mercy and grace that he encountered. But I love that translation out of the passion. Mercy kissed me. Even though I was, even though I did, mercy kissed me. And this morning, today, in Jesus' name, mercy can kiss you and begin to break the shame from your life. The second thing to realize is you can't earn forgiveness that whole striving to make your life more perfect. And yet God wants you to grow and become stronger. But there's a difference between that and legalism and perfectionism. And I think most of us don't fully get the power of the gospel. The word gospel means good news. And forgiveness cannot be earned. It simply needs to be received. It cannot be earned It simply needs to be received. Paul says this in Ephesians 2, verse 8 to 9. God saved you by his grace when you believed, when you simply put your trust in him. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. You can't take credit for it. You can't earn forgiveness. It's a gift from God. And you can receive that gift right now simply by receiving Jesus. And if you've been following him for a while and you're still caught up in something that brings shame, you can just say, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. And his mercy is new and fresh every morning. So you can't change your past. You can't earn forgiveness. But you need to know this, Jesus took your shame. The prophet Isaiah declares this about the suffering Messiah. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. And I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. Jesus took our shame head on. He faced it. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, it says he despised the shame. The very thing that causes us to despise ourselves, shame causes us to despise ourselves. Jesus despised shame. He took it head on. He faced it 
so he could defeat it on the cross for you and I. Shame drives you from God's presence, but grace invites you to draw near to God. So you can't change your past. You can't earn forgiveness, but you can receive it right now in Jesus' name. Jesus faced your shame so you could be set free from it. And Jesus will be the author of your future. You can't change your past, but Jesus counterintuitively by his mercy, through forgiveness, by the power of his grace, can author a future because the enemy whispers, you need to be ashamed of this. And because of this, you can never be that or you can never do that. And Jesus says, that's not true. If you put your trust in me, I will be the author of your future. I will write your future. And it'll be a future of freedom, of mercy, of grace. Fear not, you will not experience shame anymore. Paul says in Romans 8 and verse 28, and I wonder if you can capture the fullness of this. So we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives for those who love him, who've been called to fulfill his designed purpose. I want you to catch that. It doesn't say God takes the good things or the moderately good things and weave them together and make something good and perfect for your life. It says he takes all things. Even the things that you would put in a category buried deep in your heart of a secret shame. Even that. And maybe even the public shame. He takes that and he weaves that together. Yes, with the good choices. But all of them he weaves together. And all you've got to do is keep loving him and say, Jesus, do your will in my life. I love something that we caught in our devotional reading this week, which was a seven-day devotion by Bob Goff. And he said, shame has one goal and one goal alone, to commit, keep you cemented in a dark place while it hides a beautiful future from you. But today, Jesus sets you free for that beautiful future. Psalm 71 and verse 1 says, In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be put to shame. In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be put to shame. And right now, if you haven't done so, you can take that step of faith and put your trust in Jesus for forgiveness. He'll give you the gift of eternal life. He'll begin to take all the broken, the good, the bad, the ugly things in your life, weave them together so he can author a new future for you. And if you have been following Jesus, but you still have this nagging shame, the secret shame, you can put your trust in him for that as well and get set free and live in the fullness that he designed for your life. <music> 